This footage of a wildebeest getting killed by lions made me feel sad for the wildebeest. So, I used computers to turn the wildebeest into a Nazi. Now I'm glad that it's dead. Welcome to God's Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. On today's episode, we have our eminent professor, not professor, doctorate of uh, brain chemistry, uh, nanotechnology, Dr. John Fisher here yeah. in studio um, to talk about our our good friend Pine Creek. Now, I like Pine Creek. He's a good guy. And uh, John, you've never heard of Pine Creek before, have you? No, I don't know who it is. So he is an atheist guy. I'm going to kind of make the window a little bit smaller so people will see on the screen. Uh, he's this guy. His name is no, Pine I, Creek. Oh, well, yeah, I can't see your screen. Oh, you just have to join the stream. Uh, watch that stream live, and you should right. get my voice All and right. the stream. Good. We're good. Okay, so this guy, he's actually a member of God is Open. He joined after talking to Will Duffy several times. And uh, he seems to have a pretty good relationship with Will Duffy. And this is the guy where Will Duffy and him were sitting down and he's like, explain to me open theism. And he's like, okay, I found this list of verses where people say disproves open theism in the Bible. And then he starts reading them and you just see Pine Creek's confusion. It's like, this is the verse to prove that God knows the future. And Pine Creek is visibly confused that this is how Christians argue for their positions. And it was just the funniest thing to behold. So I do like Pike Creek. I think uh, it, his interactions have been good. But we are going to be reviewing his video here in which he critiques a new Christian channel. And it seems to be like a generic Christian channel. Seems to be this uh, guy from maybe like the Netherlands. And he actually, this guy, this Netherlands guy, he looks like one of my good friends, one of my internet friends from, from long ago. And he sounds just like him too. So at first... Uh, I thought it was him. I was like, Tom, is that you? And, uh, and it turns out a completely different guy. I don't know. Maybe all these Netherland people act and sound and look the same. That could be the case. But I do have a funny Tom story, my friend Tom. So I'm going to go ahead and throw that out here. It doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I do think it's funny. So one day he's asking me for dating advice and he's like, hey, Chris, yeah, I got this girl who I really like and I, I really like her and I don't want to lose her. What should I do? And I, I looked at him. I didn't look at him. I'm, I'm typing on the internet. I type up my advice to him. I'm like, uh, well, you can't, you can't give her all your affection and energy. Uh, women, they don't like uh, being smothered. They don't like a feeling like you're beneath them. They don't feel like they don't like feeling like they're choosing down that sort of stuff. I said, so you can't be super nice to her. Girls don't like nice guys. And like a couple months later, he he uh, he messages me back. He says. Uh, my girlfriend left me. I did absolutely everything you told me to do. I gave her everything she ever wanted. I did everything that I could for her. I gave her tons of gifts. <laughs> I'm sitting here. It's like, wait, that, that's the exact opposite of everything I ever told you ever to do. Uh, and then you, and he's, he's framing it like it was my idea. I'm like, that's the opposite. I don't know. I, I find a lot of humor in those situations in which people misconstrue so badly something you say. That's, in fact, the exact opposite. But that's my good uh, general advice to men, um, is that women don't like nice guys. And so if you're smothering them with affection and gifts, it's probably your relationship's not logged for the world. But we'll go ahead and hit play, and we'll see what Pine Creek says about our 
friend from the Netherlands. Uh, it, it might hit play. Channels, uh, well, all I can say is you're welcome. Um, and for other <laughs> atheist type YouTubers out there, you're welcome. We're giving you something to talk about. And uh, But let's get right into it. I, I want to dive into this one first. Oftentimes, you'll hear atheists claim that if God exists... Hang on, let me uh, make it look pretty. Oftentimes, you often hear atheists com uh, say... Let's rewind that. Oftentimes, you'll hear atheists claim that if God existed, there would certainly be... Oh, I... I one more thing. Ranch Elder, thank you so much for being here first. Thousand pine points, even though you're not storing up your treasures here on Earth. Thousand pine points to you. We know evils such as massacres, wars, child abuse, cancer, and what have you. Now, the problem of evil is a serious and complex one. Yes, and the problem of evil uh, does not apply to atheists. The problem of evil, in this case, is a problem for Christians. It has there is no problem of evil for atheists. I would admit that. It's right now, basically, I'm, I'm willing to concede all this. And I know I, even for some atheists, this makes them feel a little icky. But yes, we are just animals. And yes, we have vocal cords. And when we see things that we don't like, or when our community doesn't like, we call that evil. And when we uh, see things that our, we, don't, we love, or our community loves, or our country loves, we call that moral and good. We have vocal cords, we're animals that can uh, just articulate certain actions, and then we give those actions labels. So the problem of evil, pain, suffering, uh, is no problem at all. It can be explained by, hey, we evolved through natural selection, millions of years, uh, trial and error, um, and just like chimpanzees can both love each other and kill each other, we are like that. Okay. So, so, yeah, go ahead. So, he, so he, he's defining evil as things that his that people collectively like or don't like, right? Yeah, which yeah. seems to be a common sense definition in his worldview. Right, right. But if that's his definition, then how can there be a problem of evil for Christians based on his definition of evil? Uh, because what he does is he likes to call things internal critiques. And uh, so his criticism of Christianity, he says, this is not a problem for us, but if you adopt the tenets of your system, then now you do have a problem of evil. And so uh, I, I do think that he didn't say anything incorrect. Atheism doesn't have a problem of evil in a traditional sense. He's not the Sam Harris type who's going to just pretend that there is uh, a moral standard that's objective, and then atheism can adopt that moral standard, he understands the subjectivity involved in moral assessments. So I do like Pine Creek here. I'm, I'm with him. I'm not, I'm not going to criticize the things he just said. Okay. Yeah, so he's, he's about to criticize the Christian because the Christian has a standard of objective morality which he's going to claim doesn't exist. I think I think he's going to do that now for us. So I'm going to hit play. We'll see if that happens. Now, the, so basically, I want you guys to note how he tackles the problem of evil that a, a lot of atheists bring up. He tackles it by basically just talking about how atheists can't account for evil. And it, my advice is just for guys like this, just say, you're right. But let's talk about your worldview now. And... Uh, 
and then watch him. You know, you need, I, I haven't gone fishing very often, but you know, you take a fish on and put it on a dock, you know how they flap? That's what happens to apologists or Christians when you talk about evil and they're on they're like a flapping fish. And I will certainly not be able to cover all its aspects in one single video. But the one thing you will learn in this video is why it is the height of inconsistency for an atheist to even talk about the problem of evil. Yeah, that's incorrect. Like I, I was almost uh, tempted to call this video Good Doug and Bad Doug because the bad Doug in me just wants to call this guy an idiot. The good Doug in me, if I was to meet him personally, I would say, look, I understand where you're coming from. I, I understand that uh, with you believe without God, we can't even use terms like good and evil. But just please, please realize that when atheists or non-Christians are talking about the problem of evil, we're doing an internal critique. And then you kind of just look in their face and see, like, I just bought a dog, a German Shepherd puppy, and you know how they kind of go like this? Just wait to see if the Christian does like that. Like, what do you mean by internal critique? So here's the problem I have with outsiders doing uh, internal critiques is often they start applying unrealistic and often ludicrous. I'm not I'm not saying uh, Pine Creek's doing it, but often they start applying ludicrous standards. Like uh, you're reading the Bible and they'll say something like over here. Uh, Paul says this is what you need to do to be saved. And over here says this other different thing. And if you treat these mechanically, then this this conflicts with this over here. It's like, well, yeah, but language is organic. And the common sense explanation is they're talking about different things in different contexts. And all you have to do is exercise a modem of intellectual integrity. And this is not a problem. It's only a problem because you're applying unrealistic standards into your internal critique. I see this often with atheists. And uh, especially especially when I was dealing with Skylar Fiction, I know you might have watched that, where um, he comes to the text that says, like, God knows everything. And then he just assumes it means, like, the future as well. Something like that happened in that interview that back and forth. It's like if, if you're trying to internal critique me or uh, come to my system and criticize it, just you need to be exercising some integrity. Yeah, you have to understand what the system is of the person you're talking to, which can vary with a lot of different people. And, and you so can't you be careful for that. But you, to be fair, it's not just outsiders that do this. This is the common tactic in all kinds of theological debates. Right. So a, a good internal critique will not apply standards that the internal system does not adhere to. Um, so if you're you have a system that treats the Bible uh, in a, as if words are flexible, have different meanings, the meaning is dependent on context, trying to claim some sort of contradiction through a wooden literal meaning of one word as opposed to another word in different contexts, that would be an invalid internal critique. And some internal critiques are disingenuous. So you got to watch for that as well. So if you truly want to internally critique my system, uh, there, there has to be some element of generosity. It, it can't be out of, uh, out of uh, malfeasance or malicious intent. You actually have to try to empathize with the people you're internal critiquing. Or else, you know, what are you doing? You're just wasting your time, it feels like, some of these times. 
Yeah, it's the difference between straw manning and steel manning. If you want to, you have the best way to break down an argument is to steel man it, which is to make it as robust as possible, and that requires you to actually understand how to make the case for the opposite. Even if, even if you understand it better than the person you're specifically talking to at the time. Yeah. So when but, I critiqued Molinism, I did an internal critique of Molinism. I went to Molinist literature. I, I grabbed out precisely their definitions of uh, what's a necessary thing, what is something with potentiality, what is uh, fatalism, what is uh, omniscience, what what are the meanings of these, in what way does God have omniscience. I, I categorized all these things. I meticulously uh, put them up and uh, then uh, blended them together to show how internally the standards that they're applying to the system internally conflict. They, they don't make sense when put together. But I'm turning to their own literature and showing their own detailed definitions of various of elements of theirs, showing that internal inconsistency. It's not this surface level critique. All right, so I'll go ahead and hit play. We'll see what this guy says. <laughs> but if he doesn't do that, then that means, okay, I, un I know what an internal critique is. Gotcha. And basically, I've already watched this video. Basically, this video is now done. If So another thing I'd like to point out is uh, he has this uh, good angel, bad angel on his shoulder where he's like, I just want to call this guy an idiot. Well, I don't, I don't think that our uh, Netherlands friend is an idiot. I think he has an element of intelligence. This is a visual medium that he's utilizing. He's utilizing it to an audience uh, made out of human beings that react to various stimuli. And uh, I don't think that the problem of evil, the problem of evil is a problem of evil because it resonates very deeply with masses of people. And so addressing this and using it as uh, a debate point is not, not intelligent. It's an intelligent move to make, although it might not be the best from, at, from a scholarly perspective. It's, it's not a scholarly debate point, but... Uh, if you're talking about rhetoric, rhetoric, uh, it's very effective. You notice that? Yeah, so, so rhetoric, there's two ways of debating. There's rhetoric and there's dialectic. And the dialectic ideally would be the way everyone debates, but it's it's very rare that that's hap that happens. And it's also even rarer that dialectic convinces a person when rhetoric doesn't. Yeah, so I, I did see a debate with uh, Braxton Hunter, and I think it was Matt Dillyhunty or one of Dillyhunty's cronies uh, that they're debating. And a lot of Christians said that Braxton Hunter won the debate because of the problem of the evil, because he hit he hit on that over and over and over. And rhetorically speaking, that's probably correct. Although Dillyhunty, it seems to me was more of an intellectual showing some humility in in uh, the limitations of his philosophy. Uh, and so it, it seemed like Dillahunty was trying to be intellectually honest and it was it was taken in general by the audience as a shortfall on his part rather than a point of to commend him. Yeah, this is also why Christopher Hitchens was very good at persuading people, is that he would he would find a point and then he would hound on his opposition with that, calling them nasty and, and, and disgusting for the things that they believe. 
wouldn't he wouldn't debate by going through point by point what they said and telling you how it's wrong. He would instead he would instead swarm around a certain idea, and he would use the kind of language that makes you disgusted with the opposition. Yeah, people, uh, human beings, they in general they like to feel. They like to be moved. They don't like to process information and rationalize information. So uh, that's uh, one story I tell often is uh, in high school, we had this impromptu, impromptu debate. It was like AP history or something like that. Is uh, Was the U.S. justified in nuking Japan? And I get up there and I, I lay out reason after reason after reason. And my opponent gets up there uh, and he... He'd, he laughs and he does jokes and stuff, and the whole audience, they, he resonated with them, although he didn't like address my points, and he kind of just laughed off my points. And it's it's almost like he won the debate because he had the charisma rather than anything of substance to say. And and I, I left that experience just thinking, people, they don't care. They don't care about debate points. They just care about personalities. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was shocked. I was shocked. It the was, most successful politicians are the most charismatic ones. I, I, it's a wake-up moment for me. People just care about charisma. All right, I'm going to go ahead and play. If he agrees with that, that it's an internal critique, and then you basically talk about this specific deity, what he desires, wants, wishes, calls moral, and so forth. That's because on the assumption of atheism, the notion that there is a dike. Yes, Eddie the Atheist, good point. Uh, you're invited. Uh, Mr. Deflate, I don't know your real name. Uh, you're Basically, anybody who I do a critique on, mostly, most of the time, is welcome on my channel. But not all the time. <laughs> Cotomy between good and evil is as delusional as the notion that green unicorns and pink dragons race against each other around planet Earth. Good graphics. This is he, Lucas from... He, he should not have called his... I, I don't know. I don't think he should have called his his channel Deflate. I, I agree there. That's uh, very detrimental. <laughs> Maybe the naming isn't that great, but in terms of the entertainment value that, that would take an audience and keep them watching, probably the Christian has the, the more charismatic... Or at least the most entertaining one. How many people are going to watch the critique of this? Well, I think Pine Creek's channel is fairly popular. I don't think, and this guy's a new startup, so it's going to be hard to tell uh, the audience we'll dynamics yeah. between the right. two. And we'll see if this guy, this our our uh, friend from the Netherlands, I think he's. I, I'm just guessing he's from the Netherlands. He just sounds like it. I'm guessing, uh, uh, you know, he might. It might take off. I don't know. We'll see. Because I could have easily made the title of this video "Deflating Christianity," but I guess he's viewing this as deflating. Yeah, that's that's one thing you want to do. You want to try to avoid naming schemes in which people could easily make puns out of your name. But uh, you know, just like in school, like all all the parents are worried about how they name their kids because of what puns people might do on their names growing up. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what: kids are just nasty if you don't have a name that rhymes with something they'll just they'll just say something that doesn't rhyme they don't care uh, they don't care it's not you're not saving your kid by by uh naming him a specific thing plating atheism and he's going to just focus on atheism mostly i don't know from deflate 
countering the skeptics' objections to Christianity. If you're new here, click that subscribe button to get our upcoming videos. So let's Always important. Let's start with a couple of basics. On atheism, we are just one among the many thousands of species which evolved from that one common ancestor cell which crawled out of the prebiotic soup some four billion years ago. Mostly correct. That is, just like snails, rats, sharks and butterflies, we fight for survival as described by Darwin's beautiful theory of evolution. Basically, uh, one thing I've noticed throughout my years of doing this is when a Christian uses the word Darwin uh, in the conversation of evolution, you know how fundamental or how conservative they are. The more they use the word Darwin, the more conservative and fundamentalist they are. Now, of course, somewhere along the way, we miraculously picked up a mind. <laughs> we miraculously picked up a mind somewhere along the way. You can tell this guy uh, it's like, okay. Well, well, consciousness must have come about in some fashion somewhere. I, I don't know if naturalists have a good explanation of consciousness or I, mean, I think it's hard to conceptualize. So magic might be accurate in our friend or Netherlands friend, his video. You're really going to have to... You might have to do an entire video talking about this because we, you have to first establish questions like, is a pig conscious, is a butterfly conscious? So we, we need to, we need yeah. to define our terms if you want to hound on that point. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, it might be a rhetorical shortcut we that were, might uh, be accurate. An ancestor, a Neanderthal maybe, or so, no, something prior to that. And also one day we picked up a mind. But I'm sure this guy is defining mind as a soul-infused thing with free will and, and it's immaterial and not just a brain. But he's showing a picture of a brain, so maybe he means brain when he says mind. Language, the capacity to create art, literature and music, but never mind. We're just another species more or less on par with guinea pigs. More or less on par with guinea pigs mushrooms and chimpanzees mushrooms we are more or less on par with mushrooms now even though i believe we all life here on earth evolved through a common ancestor like that is just uh what's the word should bad doug come out that's just cheap dirty parlor tricks to say something like we're more or less on par with a mushroom no we are complex highly evolved, very rational most of the time, or some of the time, <laughs> the capacity to be very rational organisms. I guess we're animals. See, this is the thing. Uh, I'm going to take a little detour here. Some Christians would never leave Christianity because they need to feel special. They don't want to be viewed as just an animal, just an animal. They want to be more special than this chimpanzee that you're looking at. Okay, so that that may in fact be true. It might be, it might be kind of a cheap shot. A lot of atheists like to be atheists because of the status they it gives them, right? Uh, I mean, the atheist movement's basically petered out since Hitchens died, and the others have basically gone away. Yeah, but uh, it like uh, so that, we'll use Calvinism as an example. If you're part of the Calvinist club. You get to walk around pretending you're the scholarly one. You got the pipes. You got all the facts and evidence on your side. It, it, it makes you feel good inside. 
and so it, th- there has to be some sort of some sort of uh, uh, we'll say incentive to remain a Calvinist because of the status effects. Atheists, I think, generally in the group have a similar status effect active, where we're the intellectuals. Everyone else is not as smart as us. We we got our community. We're smarter than the others. Yeah, as I was telling you before this, Daniel Dennett even tried to come up with this notion of brights, or, or he tried to popularize it. He he wasn't the first one to come up with it, but he was at where it was devised. And so he writes this article in the New York Times, the brights need to come out of the closet, and brights are anyone who is basically an atheist who criticizes Christianity. Uh, so... So it might be a cheap shot, I'm just saying, of Pine Creek pointing this out, that yes, some people, yes, human beings do want to feel special, yeah. they want, want to feel unique, uh, but there's multiple ways, and all groups are going to experience some group. It's not It's not even a bad thing to, to try to feel special, to try to find purpose in your life. I think that's what everyone searches for in some way anyway. Yeah, I, I do. You, you can imagine that most people, they, they have their ordinary jobs and then they have some senseless entertainment. And Christianity, going, going to church every Sunday, you, you get to talk about the higher things and you get to feel like you're participating in a higher thing. It's, so it's a tribe it's, that you're connecting it's, with. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's, I, I, do, I do like uh, uh, niche tribes. I do like uh, subcultures. And, and I do think uh, one of my favorite comments I ever saw was about Fallout, where where this guy, he he's just like a normal everyday guy. And he's talking about Fallout 4. He's like, you know, I feel like an entire failure in life. I, I don't got very much money. It's like I don't got a good job. But, but when I come home and I jump on Fallout, I could save the world. I could be the hero for everyone. You know, it's it's giving him sense of purpose and uh, even community because this was on like a fallout site or whatnot and uh, i i think that's i think that's a very it's a sad tweet but i i understand where he's coming from and i understand uh his emotional connection to this community and this game that this game is giving him and i wouldn't say it's a bad thing i think it's a good thing to give people senses of purpose and senses of value and video games is one way out of many to do that yeah but i think they ultimately know video games are not that important but you wouldn't treat church that way right all right i'm gonna hit play on this guy and if they can't feel that specialness their anxieties go up there's a lot of people who suffer from anxieties and if they don't feel special then they get na- these negative feelings in them. Okay, pause it. So, yeah, so let, let's just, uh, one more point on this importance of, of the tribe, of, of the purpose. Basically, every um, early city, every piece of civilization that was built was built around this idea of a local god that have some statue in the center of their village or their city and they would bring tribute to it and they would live and and work around it and they would be if some conquering tribe came in and and broke their god it would be humiliating it would strip them of purpose but it seems like it's very clear that to get a large quantity of people organizing together you have to give them a sort of religious purpose like this 
So him saying that this is some sort of defect, that it's some sort of um, insecurity, like it's it's like denying the very thing that makes us human and want to work together. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Even as an atheist, I can tell Christians listening, if you're on the fence and thinking about leaving Christianity, but this is one of your problems, is that, no, you are special in terms of compared to a chimpanzee or a mushroom, you are way... <laughs> That's very assuring. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's the purposelessness that matters. It doesn't matter how complex you are. It matters what you're living for. He's like, you're, you're very special compared to a mushroom that you're, you're very special. See this mushroom over here? Right. Gotta, he, like, if you say that I have a celestial eternal soul... That, that that doesn't compare to saying, oh, you're more complex than a mushroom. Those are very different standards. <laughs> when you die, it'll take longer to decompose. <laughs> right. <laughs> Way more special. In fact, let me see. I, I, uh, this is something that um, I think, I forget where I got this from. Could have been Sam Harris. But we as a species, the Homo sapiens, we can look at these things and we can say, you know what? We can rank these as how special they are. A dolphin is way more special than uh, a hamster, is way more special than a butterfly, is way more special than a leaf, is way more special than a rock. You notice that as the species get more intelligent, more rational, more capable of feeling pain and so forth, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing here. I, I don't know. Is he trying to uh, try to appeal to any Christians who are watching? Come to atheism. You'll still be special because look, we we look. We got this uh, picture of a dolphin up here next to this rock, and you're you're on the other side. If, if you're, you're making you're a, above the dolphin, <laughs> convert to atheism. You're better than a dolphin. I I uh, I just don't know what he's doing with this prop here. I, he probably should have skipped it. We've deemed them more like ourselves and, and we place more value on them. So just because you leave Christianity doesn't mean you, you have to leave this whole idea that you're special. He's talking to potential Christians watching his channel. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is, this is his. Uh, okay. So, uh, you might not be an eternal soul, but you're more complicated. Like th this is this is the big issue with uh, atheism. We're, we're like I think Christopher Hitchens would say something like, "the the burning bush has, has nothing compared to the expansion of the universe and that, that we've seen from the Hubble telescope." The problem is, Christians have both that and the burning bush. It's not <laughs> like it's either or. It's plus. Uh, I, I, I don't think his he needs to work on his uh, his uh, gospel track strategy. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's convincing. I don't think it will convince, especially especially his who he's trying to address is people who are insecure about feeling special. <laughs> I, I, that that's his target audience with this ad. Right. I I don't think it's going to be effective. I I, I so. Maybe covertly, it's for his own audience. Maybe to give them some security. I, I'm just going out on a limb here. Maybe he's trying to make his own audience feel special in some way. Special, but I would say that in the big scope of things, in the 
vastness of the universe and uh, even a thousand years from now this is the problem a lot of people can't take this it's like the last person to remember your name which is probably going to be your great grandchild if you have children after that you're gone and i understand why that that anxiety really creeps up on you so but it's okay uh, uh we could probably also do a whole podcast on this but i don't think it is a very weird thing to think that importance of something depends on how eternal it is like like if if you enjoyed a uh, uh good moment with a, with another person is that moment irrelevant unless you uh remember it for all time that does it not does it no longer have the value so it's it's a very weird thing and i know like everyone has a sort of instinctual if it doesn't last then it never mattered at all and I, I don't see how that could possibly be true i think it's uh augustine in one of his works i i might have been in like his one of his later life works he quotes an unknown pagan uh, that he found on a tombstone where it says, uh, Oh, traveler, how can one live beyond the grave? Uh, I am living beyond the grave because you right now are reading these words, something like that. So I do think human beings, we do strive for immortality. But yeah, it is a weird value. But I, th I think I think it's uh, ingrained into us that immortality is a value that we do seek. I think we somewhat strive towards that value. Yeah, it's just like we understand that the things that we pursue are not forever. You, like no matter no matter whether you believe you're going to heaven and all your works are are described and all those sorts of things, even then you have to. I think we understand that there are some things that are important and there's some things that that are less important. But there are also some things that are important in the moment. And that doesn't go away just because the moment went away. Yeah. So so saying that the, the desire for it to, to be immortal, yes, it's true. It is true that we desire some form of immortality and long-lasting. But we don't desire everything about us to be immortal. And it's a weird thing to, to, to believe that. If we did, then we would always, every one of us, be striving for eternality in all things. And it's not really, it's in fact one of the, one of the things we do after we've done everything else. Mm -hmm. That's why people write their memoirs at the end of their days. <laughs> I told you, I told you uh, what my, my boys did. I had them read uh, Kit Car Carson's autobiography. And uh, I, at, afterwards, I came home. I was like, do you guys, did you boys read it? And they said, yeah, yeah. And I said, what happened at the end of Kit Carson's autobiography? And they said, he died. <laughs> I said, no, go read it again. Go read it again. Uh, uh, so that was just a humorous antidote. We'll hit play. It's, it's the same thing as uh, a million years before you were born. Um, you didn't have that anxiety. You, didn't, you weren't concerned about what people thought about you because you didn't exist. And in the same way in the future, that will be the, the case. That's why Rationality Rules would Ooh. frequently start his video like this. Why, hello, my fellow apes. I hope that you're well. Now, what is interesting is that atheists usually don't complain about there being a problem of evil in the animal kingdom. Right, and we don't complain that there's a problem of evil in the human kingdom, in the Homo sapiens. It's an internal critique. I mean, 
I have never. Not always. Not always. Not all atheists are framing it that way. A lot of them see evil in this world and they complain about evil in this world on its own merits. And then they apply that to Christianity and they say, how can you explain all this evil? That Things uh -huh. that they legitimately see as evil. And so internal critique only comes from the people who have been prepped in order to frame the debate as an internal critique. That's my experience. Yep, I, I think that's definitely true. Anyone talking about humpback whales committing atrocities when swallowing tons of krill? Nor have I ever heard an atheist being outraged at the fact that amongst... There's there's a great meme that I have I have downloaded and it's this wildebeest. I maybe maybe I got it and uh, there's a lion ripping it apart and uh, that there's a narrator over it saying, "Oh, I was so sad when this wildebeest died by all these lions." And so I photoshopped a swastika on the the wildebeest and now the lions are tearing apart a Nazi wildebeest. I don't feel so bad anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, that's a, it's a good meme. Certain kinds of apes, males unjustly commit rape and infanticide when they copulate with females by force and kill off their offspring. Yeah, uh, that's another thing I, I think maybe even some atheists feel a little icky about admitting that, what, 300,000 years ago, our ancestors, they probably didn't ask permission to have sex with the opposite sex. Basically, every form of reproduction was non-consensual. Well, I shouldn't say that. Just, but we, at some point, we developed vocal cords, and so there wasn't this whole idea of, I guess we could use hand signals. No, no, stay away. <laughs> uh, your back is not hairy enough. Get away from me. Um, now we like sleek black backs. But, but yeah, it, but that's the truth, right? That's, we, if, it's, if it's true that we evolved from ancestors, this... This shows that morality has evolved just like we have. What we call moral, what we call immoral. And even Christian. So here's, here's where he's talking about his own system. So we're outside of his internal critique. Now we're learning about his worldview that mor morals, social morals, progress as we grow as society. And so now we're introducing new things which are now subjectively wrong which wouldn't have been in prior times. For example, rape is the one that he's using. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean in, in that case, they, you could uh, come up with a society where it becomes necessary again. And so I don't, I think a standard is, is just what everyone agrees on. But it, it's not completely clear from the context. Because... In principle, you can't really call it morals progressing. You can only say that they're changing. Yeah, progressing in a non-value-neutral yeah. way. We'll say. Right, right. Well, the word progress is it, it already has a value assigned to it. That's why yeah. people like to use it and call them something, because it sounds like you're improving, right? Uh, changing is, is the most accurate term for it. And it, it's a weird thing then, because it means that you can always change it. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that in a video about morality that he'd, he'd throw that in there. Well, I think I admit this when they use terms like new covenant and old covenant. 
Why the science? Oh yeah, so uh, standard Christianity wouldn't say that that's a change in morality. Maybe some would. So, some Christians would. They would say some uh, <laughs> certain things are now immoral, which weren't immoral before. But standard dispensationalism will just say that God's methods of reaching humanity changed. And that's what it means by Old Covenant and New Covenant. A covenant is a, only between the people who are parties to the covenant. So the Old Covenant in the Bible was between God and the people of Israel. The Gentiles weren't subject to the Old Covenant. They weren't covenant parties. And so um, I, I, it might be outside of the scope of what we're discussing here, but uh, it his uh, understanding of that, uh, it could be based on interactions with Christians or, or inaccurate representation of what Christians mean by Old and New Covenant. Islands. Well, you know, when whales eat krill, they're just fighting for survival. And when male apes force themselves on females and kill their kids, well, they're just propagating their genes. That's simply the beauty of natural selection, taking its wondrous course. I'm not sure about this. I'm not a zoologist, but I play one on YouTube sometimes. I actually have to take a zoom. I have a zoology minor in, in undergraduate school, but I do think this is true. I think that in certain higher evolved uh, primates, uh, chimpanzees, for example, the tribe will see bad behavior and expel and even kill that individual chimpanzee when it misbehaves, just like we do, or we lock them up or whatever. And uh, and then there's other ways I think they encourage good behavior within the tribe. Of course, as Darwin said, so from whales and apes back to us humans, though again, according to rationality rules and his fellow apiists, I mean, sorry, atheists, there is no real difference anyway. Now here's the rub. Atheists claim that we are just another kind of animal fighting for survival. However, when apes in the jungle kill babies and force themselves on their females, atheists are happy to put this into the magic trunk of Darwin's evolution, as their never-questioned dogma, which supposedly explains... <laughs> never-questioned dogma. Ugh. This is like, the bad dogma is like, well, uh, is, well okay, uh, you guys have heard me say this, that it doesn't matter what where you're coming from, uh, assume people with some uh, uh, an idea or views the opposite of yours is going to straw man you. That's the default position. But this is taking it to another level. Like there's many scientists who question s certain aspects of evolution. But I think a con um, over uh, the broad spectrum of scientists in many different fields and so forth, that uh, common dissent is accepted. And the thing is, he He's talking like atheists are the only ones that believe or accept evolution. Like that's false. There, there's probably more, in fact, I'm quite sure that there are more Christians who accept evolution than, um, than not. And, and that's, that's going to be true because I think atheists only make up about like 3% of the population. I think in the U.S. they're only like 3%. So <laughs> I was talking to my boys the other day and, and my girl. I always say my boys, but uh, it's all my kids. And uh, I said, who is has higher IQ? Who's smarter, atheists or Christians? And they're like, Christians. I'm like, well, that's, that's actually not true. Um, on average, if you're taking average intelligence, uh, atheists tend to be 
smarter than Christians, and the reason is a selection bias. Who is the atheist? Uh, theism tends to be humanity's basic default belief system. Uh, all people are, are pretty much world over have some sort of uh, theistic view in mind. And so to be an atheist, you have to self-select. You have to be thoughtful about the issues in such a way that you're going to deviate from the norm. And the people to do that are not the people with below average IQ. And so just by natural sorting, atheists are going to be smarter on average. Yeah, it's not just IQ that sorts, though. Atheists are also sorted for being higher on the uh, autism spectrum. And it's for the same reasons. It's because the more you are socially disengaged, the more likely you are to come up with conclusions on your own. So, so it's, it's a funny correlation. Doesn't mean all atheists are autists. It's just, but it's yeah. funny to see. I think it's so. Charles Murray always points out in groups uh, when you're talking about average IQs, the differences between groups are always a lot greater than the differences. Our differences inside individual groups are always at wider variety than the differences between groups. And so, <laughs> so if you're using men and women, so on average, men are slightly have higher IQ than women, but there's a lot of dumb men and there's a lot of smart men and the 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 range of IQs is uh incredible but uh, the average difference between men and women are I don't know one standard deviation something like that so the differences within groups are always greater than outside of the groups but on average atheists because of these selection mechanisms these these uh just just circumstances will have higher IQ and it uh, kind of blew my kids away to, to kind of learn this and it's a good I think it's a good thing to teach your kids about how the world works, how statistics work. Yeah. Homosexuals, for example, have higher, way higher, way higher average income than uh, normal heterosexual people in the U.S. They, they're, they're breaching the, the six figures uh, family incomes for homosexual couples as compared to heterosexual couples, which are, you know, about uh, thirty to 40000 on average. I, I mean, you're US. talking about family incomes, right? So they're both working. Yeah, so just you, that alone. Yeah, because people who often identify as homosexual all, often have uh, very strong passions for very intense passions to do things like business. They they're very focused individuals, and that's going to drive their income up real high. It's it's not necessarily discrimination. I don't think we live in a, a gay patriarchy or something that just. It gives the homosexuals tons the of gay patriarchy. The gay, the gay Asian patriarchy. I don't think we live in a gay Asian patriarchy where Asians uh, rule the system, so they give gay Asians the highest incomes out of any any group or anything like that. There's a lot of uh, self selection mechanisms that go into that. But I'll hit play. I don't know where where we got to this subject from. I could be wrong about that, but I think the Pope has has said, uh, "Yeah, go ahead, accept evolution," and I think. Oh yeah, evolution. So yeah, most Christ, most people are theists, and there's a lot of evolutionists. So there's not very many people are atheists. So there's going to be, just statistically speaking, a lot more Christian evolutionists than there are atheist yeah. evolutionists. But, but, but his response is kind of weird because he's just saying, okay, there's a lot of Christians who accept it. If he's doing an internal critique, then this internal critique says that evolution is wrong, right? And so you have to deal with that. Uh, I, I think if you also look, the number of people who don't believe in evolution who happen to be atheists is probably next to zero, right? 
Probably. So, so it's very likely if you're denying that evolution happened, you're a theist in some way. And so I, I don't know where he, where he's coming out with, with oh you can be a Christian in it like that's I, not I, the thing that you have to criticize you have to you have to deal with it as it comes. And I think his criticism of our friend I don't even the Deflate guy I don't know his name I missed his name so let's call him the Deflate guy. I think his criticism of the Deflate guy is that the Deflate guy is making atheism uh, equating that to evolution, and his criticism is it's not just uh, atheists, it's uh, it, Christians too believe this. And so to tr- conflate atheism and evolution as synonymous, synom- synonymous, um, it's a mistake. Uh, I, I don't think it's a terrible thing to do, though, because uh, atheism, all, all atheists are evolutionists, but not all evolutionists are atheists, right? So yeah, I, if you criticize evolution, you are criticizing atheism. I, th- I think it goes without saying that most people who take the Bible seriously are not evolutionists. Th- right. th- there's going to be ser- serious scholars who do believe both in evolution and the Bible, but tip- that's that's going to be the far minority. So I think our deflate guy, his his target audience are Bible-believing Christians, and I think they're going to equate in their minds evolution and atheism and the Christians who believe in evolution as as almost denying the faith, possibly. So I'll go ahead and pull it. Roman Catholicism is the biggest version of Christianity on the planet. So everything that's nature taking its course according to the priests and popes of atheism and Dawkins's followers are of course see but you know if you're a Christian listening uh, and and the topic of uh, the problem of evil comes up, take this guy's strategy like you'll uh, uh, that's the best way to not have to deal with things like I, I see DB Cisco in the live stream chat said, um, you know, verses like or ideas like marry your rapist and so forth in the Old Testament. No, it doesn't say that. And, it doesn't say that. The Bible says some things that the atheists claim, but it doesn't say marry your rapist. I think what's happening, I think it's in Leviticus where uh, you're marrying the person you had consensual sex with. And I think it's it's a misunderstanding of what's going on there. Uh, the rapist, the rapist would be executed with stones if if you read in the same in the same context. So that's uh, there there are there are legitimate things that the Bible states that modern society does not like. But marry your rapist is not one. Like I always tell my wife, uh, there's a section of the Bible that states if you get a second wife, uh, that's fine, that's good, you could do that. Um, just the things you need to keep in mind is you can't decrease the clothes and the sex for your first wife. So as long as you're doing that, uh, getting a second wife is uh, A-OK. And so I told my wife that. She wasn't she wasn't too thrilled. I don't know. I don't know why she wouldn't be. It's all Bible, right? And genocide in the Old Testament and so forth. Um, this guy can just avoid all that just by placing the burden on... On atheists, but again, all you have to do is with a Christian like this is just say, just say two words over and over again: internal critique, internal critique. And it's you can say things like, "They're both, they're both, both of these two people are playing a frame game." Where so if if we watch our deflate guy, he's framing evolution as uh, he's using mocking tones. Uh, he's framing it as a religion. You just heard him talk about popes and priests of evolution. 
And so he's framing us versus them, these two groups. Uh, he's, he's framing this as evolution is silly already. And uh, our Pine Creek friend is framing it as this is how you counter. You use this alternative frame, internal critique, internal critique. Then you don't actually have to defend your own position. So both of these guys are playing a frame game. And they're, they're, they're not wrong or bad for doing so. But just watch out what people are doing, how they're saying, what's their intention, and, and how, they're, how they're manipulating the situation to their advantage. And frame is one way to do it. Frame is very important. I could be wrong about everything. I'm wrong about everything. You, you're, you could be right about everything. You're right about everything. Internal critique. Now let's talk about your God and why he would create hating sin, but knowing that by creating he would cause sin indirectly um, in internal critique. More than happy to blindly believe it. However, when they see the same thing happening among human apes, they ditch natural selection and the fight for survival and no. suddenly start ranting about evil instead. Now, how does this make any sense? Are we animals or are we not? Well, welcome to the twisted logic of irrationality rules and his fellow. Humans are animals, but they're animals that are thinking, they're rational, and they, in the attempts to live longer and survive, they will look at things and say, oh, if I do X, that tends to cause problems for both me and the society I live in, so we're not going to do X. In fact, we'll call X evil. And we'll shame people when they do it. And when they don't do it or do the opposite, we will praise them. And by shaming and praising and giving cer certain things certain labels, it will lead to hopefully a better society where, um, yeah, the, there's less suffering, the species can propagate and so forth. Now, interestingly enough, though, uh, some of the criticisms against atheism has been <clears throat> that atheists are, in the United States at least, or in Western civilizations, they do a horrible job at reproducing. So oh, that's true. Has ever. <laughs> <laughs> Socially awkward, uh, high IQ people without social skills do have trouble, do have trouble reproducing. Yes, I, I'm with them there. Uh, did, did she go to one of these meetings? What these, uh, um, where uh, oh yeah yeah there was some like local group of uh what were they called the they're not the philosophers it's like the founders or something but but yeah it was a bunch of socially awkward people for the most part there was like one normal family and <laughs> and, and it wasn't even a family because i don't think they had children but but it was like a, a normal couple and then a bunch of like, misfits okay so Brian Kaplan talks about this thing called rational irrationality. And uh, so the idea is this, where if you're at a dinner party and the subject of minimum wage comes up, you might, you might understand minimum wage. Minimum wage decreases the quantity of low-skill labor. People can't get jobs who otherwise would have jobs. Minimum wage hurts the people who most need uh employment who are in the worst positions in society it's a bad thing it's generally generally uh not supported by economists so you go to your dinner party you're at your dinner party and do you at this dinner party say hey i think minimum wages should be abolished 
Everyone will look at you. Horrif they're not economists. That they, they don't know anything about minimum wages. They want minimum wage raised to fifteen, thirty dollars an hour, or something like that. Uh, they they will think you are the scum of the earth. And so, but what would you have gained in this social interaction from coming out against minimum wage? You wouldn't have gained anything. You would have gained a lot of uh, enemies. People won't will, will stop inviting you to dinner parties. Uh, you're not going to have any dinner parties. And uh, did you did you solve the problem? Now minimum wages are going to be abolished. You didn't even do that. Your one voice doesn't actually affect the workings of the world. So you opining on this one subject is inconsequential. And so I think what happens in religion is a lot of people are rationally irrational. There's, there's a lot of Catholics I've known uh, throughout my life. I'm just going to pick on the Catholics. There's a lot of Catholics who are just social Catholics. They're Catholics for sake of being Catholic because if they said they're not Catholic anymore, you know, there goes their entire social, their social standing. You know, they, they're known as being Catholics. They, they call themselves Catholics, um, but they're not, they're not like real Catholics. They're just social Catholics. And so <laughs> I think, I think there is a, a social aspect to maintaining religion. So what I'm trying to say is, People who are socially minded tend to be theists, and the people who self-segregate in this atheist community don't seem to be the most sociable people with the highest charisma. Well, I, I, yeah, it, it, see, this is one of the problems that the early atheists, like the the Dawkins-Dennett movement, had is that they really struggled besides coming up like getting together to complain about christians they really really struggled in, in coming up with reasons to get together and do anything together <laughs> so, like what, what do you do like what what do you do if, functionally as an atheist group you, get together, you, either, like... <laughs> you either get together and complain about christians or you get together and say look how bright i am which is also not not actually that appealing even to the people saying it <laughs> I get. I guess you could get together and talk about Nietzsche or Rousseau or something like that. I don't know. <sighs> you can philosophize. Oh man, but but, but, uh, but you even... contrast that with the Catholics, and they're extremely tight knit. Like our uncle is, uh, like he he got all of his uh, realtor connections through the Catholic groups where they we, they just want to buy with each other. So that they're it's a complete community. And it's more so than you realize if you're not inside it. Yeah. So athe atheists have a have a social socialism problem, a social light yeah. problem. Evolution taking a step now of going against itself by becoming a rational organism like Homo sapien. You look around, you say, "Oh, having too high of a." So our little sister Laura, that one one day she's talking and she's like, "People at school don't like me very much because I'm not a." And she's thinking about the word to use. I'm not a socialist. And I said, and "Me too. That's the same reason they don't like me." Is <laughs> that is the same reason? All right. The population is actually killing the environment, making it tougher to get resources and so forth. Maybe we should stop having kids. That's an interesting uh, question or uh, interesting thing to think about. Low apes. Now, to be fair, some atheists are at least rational enough to recognize that none of this makes any sense. And so they try to fix up the situation a little bit. They would say that though we're animals, similar to those raping apes, 
Evolution has miraculously endowed us with a sense of what is good and evil. Yeah, look at his framing. Look at how he's he's using the, the mocking tones. He's painting his enemies as silly. And I think I, I think when I, I watched this before, I didn't watch all of it. I like skipped around in it. I think uh, it he he finally says something that sets Pine Creek off, but we'll we'll try to we'll try to at least get that far. Evil as a helpful adaptation. It's same with the brain thing or the mind thing. It's just boom. We also had the sense of right and wrong. No, it evolved very very slowly over time. for our species to thrive and survive, even though clearly there is no such thing as good and evil, but there's only the illusion of it. Yeah, this is um, <clears throat> a lot of atheists will say what he just said, there is no good and evil, there's illusion of it. But that's because they're defining good and evil the way most theists do. And so if a, if a theist is set in their ways, stubborn, saying, oh, yeah, the only way you can have good and evil is with a God, and you say, oh, I don't believe in God, then you just say, well, I don't believe in good and evil. But notice how that is almost irrelevant. It's like, most Christians admit you don't have to believe in a God to act morally. So you don't even need to believe in God to do what's right to your fellow man or, or cause harm. If you're a Christian, you can still cause. In fact, aren't most Christians in jail? Aren't most murderers in jail uh, believers in God? Yeah, most people, almost everyone on earth is a theist in some sense. So yes, statistically, that is going to be true. I wonder about percentages, though. I would I would guess offhand, since atheists tend to be smarter, higher income individuals, they are going to be less represented in jail uh, over over theists. I would guess if you ran the statistics, you're going to find that to be true. Well, one thing you could do is try to find an atheist society. And the closest one you would come up with is, I think, a Buddhist society. So look in China. And see how often Christians are in jail in China. That would be a, a meaningful comparison between what, whether the religiosity leads to the criminality. Yeah, that that would be interesting. Let's uh, let's see. I think he's getting to a very astute point about Christianity and ethics in Christianity and objective standards. We'll, we'll see right. if he's go. See if he goes. There. I would say yes. So it, it's it's totally irrelevant what he's saying here. Maybe which we took on that. in the process of evolution. In fact, some of the most respectable atheist philosophers make exactly these claims, such as Michael Roos, who says, ethics, as we understand it, is an illusion fopped off on us by our genes to get us to cooperate. <laughs> Any of the atheists is defending himself in the live stream chat. Pine Creek, I want to procreate, but Many of the hot single women in North Carolina are practicing Christians. Life is just not fair. <laughs> well, I appreciate Eddie the Atheist for not being unequally yoked, because that's a sin. Yeah, guess who else is not atheists? Women. Women. I, you're going to find uh, a massive... If, you, if you're a man, and let's say you want to identify as atheist, and uh, you're going to let that... You're going to make that like a prime factor in selecting a mate... Uh, you're killing yourself. I, I don't know what you're doing to yourself. It's 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 a bad mating strategy uh, to limit yourself or even make atheism one of your causes of celebrity in your life that, that you want to champion at all costs. You're going to drive away the women.
I, I don't. I, women are not going to like that. Uh, yeah. So I find that in professional settings with uh, highly credentialed people, you don't find a lot of theists. So. Uh, you have to be especially smart <laughs> and then run into women that are kind of like you. So the, the nerdy, quirky kinds. Yeah, it's it's not a good dating not strategy. The, the attractive North Carolina women. No, that's not going to work out for you. <laughs> this, this God is Open is a dating show. We give a lot of dating advice uh, to lonely, <laughs> lonely single men. Uh, how how to like, attract an and find women? Do not mention it. If you're an atheist, if and you're on a date, and she's she's like a, not like a crazy professional lady, like a, an architect or something. Don't say don't lead with, "Hey, I'm an atheist, and I go on all these atheist but, debate channels debating atheists." Just, just go with the line: "You're spiritual but not religious." <laughs> go go with that line. That that is your lead off. That you believe. That there it could be a higher power, and that we are all we all have some sort of spirituality inside of us. That'll be like a romantic line, you know. Then you could be <laughs> yeah. real vague, and then she'll say, "Oh, that is so intelligent," and and far, I never thought about it like that. And then you might might actually impress her. You don't you don't say I I go on online and I debate these Christians and I tear them apart. That's <laughs> not a good dating strategy. Uh oh, yeah. Are you? Is our video paused? It's just a minute. There we go. Morality, or more strictly, our belief in morality, is merely an adaptation put in place to further our reproductive ends. And so we come full circle. On atheism, evil does not actually exist, other than as a figment of our imagination. No, not as a fig. Figment of our imagination. It is in our brains. We just call certain <laughs> actions that are bad or not uh, good for survival or cause harm evil. Te technically, everything in our minds is a figment of our imaginations, right? <laughs> Maybe. I, I can agree with that, too. <laughs> That's why when atheists complain about things like genocide, war crimes, or the problem of evil in general, they're basically complaining about something which, according to them, should be taken as seriously as the flying spaghetti monster. The notion that this could be considered a rational position. He's saying that if you're an atheist, you can't really complain about genocide. If you're an atheist, you can't really say anything against someone breaking into your house and killing your kids. I mean, uh, uh, deflate. If you want your channel to get, well, I guess you can still, yeah. No, I, I was going to say, if you want your channel to grow, you're going to have to stop saying ridiculous things like this. You could say, like... He <laughs> uh, gets it. Pine Creek, his wheels are spinning. He's like, okay, so what is the the correct rhetorical move? They just have no basis for this, or, or um, they are in a contradiction with themselves. You can say stuff like this, like that, I guess. But I guess there's enough stupid people in the world that you could still grow your channel and say stuff like this <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination must be i guess one of the yeah what what is he like oh if you want to grow your oh but i guess you can anyway what is he even saying well i think he, I, I what mean, he's just sputtering 
I, I think what happened was he's like, oh, you, this is not how you should say this. So I should frame why you should not fr say this in a way which is beneficial to you. But then he second guessed it. He said, no, that 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 doesn't follow at all. And so then he had to backtrack what he was going to uh, claim mm -hmm. as his criticism. I think we just watched that all play out in real time. And so uh, that's his wheel starts spinning and he's like, oh, man, my advice probably is not very good. <laughs> the dogmas atheists simply embrace with blind faith. And by the way, you, thanks, Eddie, the atheist. you don't have to take my word for what I just said, because what's telling is that it is atheist philosophers themselves. By the way, uh, deflate guy, this is good. This is what I like what you're doing. Uh, he's trying to defend his worldview by basically not focusing on it. Uh, that's a good tactic. Uh, number two is, um, let me rewind it here. You're quoting people who, atheists, who are, you're alluding to the fact that they represent all atheists. Now, I'm sure you're smart enough to realize that that's not the case, but it's a good tactic to always bring up uh, the other side's champions and say, this is what your guys are saying. I do that a lot, so that's a good, good so you, you generally always have to because if if you're saying something that the other side says and you don't quote someone directly, you will be instantly accused of straw manning. So literally, I, that yeah. <laughs> anytime you interact with the uh, other side. So what happens here is uh, our friend from the Netherlands, he, he quotes the people directly to make the point. And Pine Creek now, instead of saying, no atheists say that, now he has to say, not all atheists say that, which is a legitimate response. But in absence of quoting people, he could have just deflected. Uh, uh, I mean, it's man. such a limp-wristed response, though, because it's true. Like, there's so much variation in just about everything that you're not saying anything by responding like that. <laughs> right. He, it may be a good, good way to deal with situations if people are critiquing. Let's say someone's critiquing open theism. And I would just say, oh, I don't believe that. And so yeah, if they're interacting easy. with me, I just say, well, that guy believes that. That's fine. But uh, you're talking to me now or I don't agree with that position. So we could deal with my position. Well, we don't have to deal with that person. Um, and so I, I do feel his frustration a little bit when people say that one view represents all of let's let's say someone quotes. Greg Boyd or Thomas Ord as representing all of open theism there there is yeah, variety yeah, and disagreement you have, to, you have to go after the most popular person though you do you do I I, I understand why they do it and I do I I, I empathize I empathize with Pike Creek here good tactic um, but I and I I think that's his actual last name too so I don't think that's like a handle like a gaming handle so <laughs> I sometimes think it is. I, I sometimes forget to say that, you know, of course, this doesn't represent all Christians, but I think most of the time, most of the time, usually some of the time <laughs> I do word for what I just said, because what's telling is that it is atheist philosophers themselves who have admitted that on the assumption that atheism is true, their position on the issues of justice and evil are as inconsistent as anything could be. I mean, pick Bertrand Russell, for example, who, while advocating for human rights, also confessed that what he's doing does not make any sense, given that he's also an atheist. 
or Joel Marx, an atheist philosopher who says, I have long been laboring under an unexamined assumption, namely that there is such a thing as right and wrong. I now believe there isn't. I became convinced that atheism implies amorality. Yeah, my, and I'm not exactly sure what Joel Marx is defining as um, right and wrong, but does it even matter if there is something outside of ourselves, outside of the cosmos, where you, let's say it's true that there is this standard of objective right and wrong that's outside of homo sapiens, outside of all humanity. What does that matter if you can't know what it is? I think the epistemology is way more important than the ontology. Because I'm an atheist who could say, yeah, maybe there is something as objective right and wrong. But uh, you've got to show me why, why there is. Like, maybe there isn't. In fact, I don't see any evidence that there is. And if there is, how in the heck do we figure out what it is? It seems like throughout the course of human history, it seems like we've had to figure that out on our own. And don't tell me you got it out of a book, because even that book, you, you would admit that we don't do certain things like that book says we did. We no longer stone practicing homosexuals. Well, not in the United States, anyhow. Okay, so I think he's hitting on a very crucial problem. There, there is a disconnect between any objective standard of reality and practicality. And so if, if we say for sake of argument, and most Christians will claim that there is an objective morality that's outside of ourselves, that's written in stone, if that morality does not have interaction with the practical world in any sense, it might as well not exist. Are you tracking what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, this is it's, that's not true just about morality. If you say there's, there's something supernatural out there, but it's so supernatural that it never interacts, then like, who, why does it matter exactly? Yeah, so let's say, so normal Christian view of sin is that there is some sort of eternal code out in the nether somewhere, and if you violate that, then you get like a demerit on your account. And so one one visual that I like to pull up to, sh to illustrate this common view is in What's in the Bible?, where Adam and Eve sin, and this little dust moat thing creature jumps onto them. And as humanity sins, more and more of these demerits or dust creatures jump on. And then now you are metaphysically imbued with some sort of sin tally on you. And so if the, the only way Christians conceptualize this objective morality is that it has to be embedded metaphysically into the universe, a system in which there's an actual ramification for violating this code. So if that doesn't exist, and if there's no practical uh, practical consequences of, of how nature works for those sin acts, then practically, even if objective morality exists, it's, it really doesn't. For all intents and purposes, it does not exist if there's no practical consequences for violating 
Well, well yeah. So, so the this this is basically Euthyphro's question, which is a question Socrates asked Euthyphro, and this is really what the problem of evil is. It, it, Socrates asks him, "Is something good because the gods said it was good, or is it good for some objective reason, right? Some at, uh, other standard? Because if it is, if it's just good because the, the gods said it's good, then the argument is that it's arbitrary." And if it's good because it's for some objective reason, then then like, why are we even talking about like what do we need the gods for? Um, and and so this this is tied into this point that you're making because the question is like, are we following this because we're God is going to punish us for not following that? Is is that the reason to to follow certain moral standards, or are you doing serious damage somewhere, or is it completely abstract? And I think most Christians, even though you're talking about these demerit standards, I think they're not really going to say in terms of demerits. If you if you talk to them, they would say that you're causing some sort of disorder in the world, which is causing damage to someone somewhere in some way. So um, then it just becomes a question of like, is it is it disorder because it's not following what God wants the world to be like, or is it disorder? in just some absolute standard, right? Right. So let's say there, let's just pretend there's objective morality. You violate this objective morality. And let's say God doesn't punish us for that. We just live our lives like normal. We die like normal. Um, and there's no consequences for, uh, for violating the objective morality. Then objective morality might as well not exist. The subjective morality by which the world actually operates, in which if if I go and kill someone, the cops come after me and the family right. members may or may not in, enact vengeance against me, that subjective morality is more practical and more real than any objective morality would be. And so I think, by and large, societies operate on subjective morality it's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean morality doesn't exist, but it does mean that morality is subjective. It's based on subjects interacting with our actions and then enforcing judgment on our mm-hmm. actions. So if God is the ultimate enforcer, then practically speaking, morality is subjective. Morality is is subjective based on God's subjective understanding of it but right. but this is this is the thing I, I think the disconnect that a lot of christians have is the notion that just because god declares it doesn't mean it's objective it's god is the subject that it's coming from so so it could be objective that god's subjective morality is enforced and so so uh, something that's subjective changes based on the subject who's stating it so I like ice cream. Now, there might be someone down the road who's a myth, misanthrope who hates humanity, and this guy <laughs> hates ice cream. Um, terrible person, maybe. Um, but so the statement, I like ice cream, cannot be equally applied to him. It, the subjective means that things changed based on the subject who's stating it. So right. it could be objective reality that God enforces his subjective reality. In that sense... Morality could be objective, even though it's also subjective. So it's an objective statement 
Chris likes ice cream. Objective, because any object can state that. That's a fact of the universe. It's it's not it's not a subjective claim that changes based on who says it. Chris, that's me, likes ice cream. Objective statement. I like ice cream. Subjective. It changes based on the subject. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not following how how that makes you like ice cream and you're going to punish people who don't. No, 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 no. I'm, like, I'm 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 just uh, clarifying the difference between. Objective I, I, and subjective. I don't say like if it's if God is enforcing His subjective standards, that doesn't then, make it objective. It, well, the only it's objective that the that objective it, statement that, that the enforcement will happen. The objective statement is that God is enforcing His subjective morality. But so that doesn't it, make the morality objective. Correct. Correct. But you can have an quote unquote objective standard, even though it's really for all practical intents, a subjective so, standard. Right. But the, the main reason people desire objective morality is that they want it to not change. And yeah. so by that standard, morality still will change. It could change. Yes. Which is why you, you have the classical theists say that God will never, ever change. And therefore morality never, ever changes. Yeah. And then like morality is identical with him. And so it's not so. Um, right. Yeah, so that that is a key motivation to that, but I just don't think that's how reality operates. I think, I think most of our experiences are subjective, and enforcing yeah. it's, enforcing it's also, morality is a very subjective act. It's also important to understand that subjectivity does not equate to arbitrariness or relativity. It could be that morality is subjective because of the interactions between human beings, but because human beings are a certain way, it will always be a certain way. It, it doesn't have to be arbitrary. Every You like ice cream, just about everyone likes ice cream. That's because of the taste buds that human beings have. It's, it's a subjective thing to like ice cream, but it's related to the fact that we all have taste buds that appreciate it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, yeah, so it does, subjectivity does not eradicate the... Um, uh, it does not make it mutable endlessly to whatever you want to make it. Yeah. So uh, like the things that we see, I, I got color blindness. And so subjectively I see the world in different colors than other people, but I can still operate at stoplights. It still can happen, even though I'm not exactly seeing the same thing as, as someone else. And I tend to intend to stop at red lights. That, so, in my what life, do you, what do you do when the stoplight is sideways? <laughs> well, you get you got to some. Sometimes you got to guess if it's those those new lights that are like they're like backlit or something crazy yeah. like that. I can, I don't know. You just kind of you, you look at it. And you're see like, what the other cars are doing. Like, what's going on here? Okay, is, are there cars moving? Do I just run this thing? Because I have no idea. Who designed these lights? Did, did they? Uh, in programming class, it was a very sad day for me. Um, it is in college, and they're like, "You got to, you got to design your interfaces with colorblind people in mind." And they showed various pictures. They're like, "This is what a normal person sees. This is what a colorblind person sees." And I looked at the pictures, and they looked the same. It's like <laughs> I wanted to cry there in class. These everyone's experiencing the world different than me. Ah, ah. And so, whoever designed these new lights, I hate that person. Um. Yeah, uh, they they did not have colorblind people in mind. 
He goes on to say that believers are correct. Without God, there is no morality. In other words, on atheism, talking about right and wrong, as well as good and evil, is inconsistent nonsense. It's inconsistent nonsense if you're defining it involving a God. Then I would agree with you. But most, I'd say all atheists, don't define it that way. So as long as you believe that all there is in the universe are atoms and biomolecules, which evolution has miraculously, by the wave of a magic wand, turned... <laughs> evolution by a wave of a magic wand. I can tell that this guy is defensive about what he believes by the way he's talking here because he's he's using what he's heard i think for some, from some atheists you know uh, you believe in a magical uh, fairy uh yeah up in the sky a sky daddy he's tracking on this uh, waved a magic wand or spoke the words and uh poof we got the universe and he's just reversing it and he's reversing it because i think he feels defensive it's like yeah. i am not stupid i am not irrational uh, in fact, you are the stupid ones. This is almost like the, uh, I know you are, but what am I type apologetic. Turn into apple trees, raping. So, so we should actually talk about that, that, that shift of frame. And so one thing that we see, I think, I think what we're seeing here with this, this new Christian wave of apologists is the same type of uh, thing that we saw in the Trump election. Our conservatives uh, for the longest time, are tired of being called racist. Uh, conservatives know they're not racist. They're not racist. They're not sexist. They they don't they don't hate gays or anything like that. But all these accusations have been leveled at them for so long that they're just looking to fight back. They're looking to fight back. They were looking to take the gloves off because being nice does not work. To enemies who hate you, despise you, belittle you. And that's what the atheist community does to Christians. Oh, Christian, you're a Christian. You believe this stupid thing. Oh, I'm going to mock you and make fun of you. Uh, there's only so much abuse you're going to take. And you're going to fight back. And you're going to pull those gloves off. And guess what? Your side is going to cheer when that happens. Because they're tired. They're tired of being dehumanized. They're tired of taking abuse from your side. Um, atheists are getting, they're reaping what they sow. The same thing happened in uh, American politics in the election of Trump. Uh, normal Americans were tired of taking the abuse. They found someone who's going to fight for them with the gloves off, someone who's not going to take these accusations, someone who's going to stand up and give them hell back. I, I think that's what's going on here with the new apologists. Yeah, and he doesn't have much to say about that. I mean, he's, he's, he's trying to say, oh, this is a kid's game. But obviously that's what rhetoric has dominated the debate all the time. And it always has. It always has dominated. That's how you can. It's, it's unfortunate that this is true, but you always win the argument through rhetoric, not through dialectic. So hey, let them do what they do. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, treating it like it's, oh, these these Christians are being mean. All oh, these Christians are, are, are calling us stupid. Yeah. What, what are they doing? You're, you're, you're getting a taste. You're getting a little bit of a taste of what you've been doing to Christians for so long. You need to be policing your own side if this is not the world you want to live in. If these are the conversations you don't want to be having. 
You, you need to focus on your own side first. Being apes and homo sapiens, then you have no reason to suppose that good and evil actually exist, other than as an illusory figment of our imagination. And why would anyone care about illusions? That would be as rational as getting all worked up about whether the non-existing green unicorn or is. the non-existing pink dragon is... So look at the framing of our Netherlands friend, our deflate friend. He's taking common atheist mocking points and he's flipping them. He's flipping the frame. This is this is brilliant. I, I, I haven't gone to our deflate Chen's friend's uh, YouTube channel to see what kind of uh, traction this is getting. But rhetorically, this is beautiful because Christians, we are, are all familiar with flying spaghetti oh yes i believe in the flying spaghetti monster it's like okay it's oh you're, you're just going to try to mock me rather than actually interact with me great thanks thanks a lot so so hitting back on those specific points that resonate with his target audience it's a good frame shift and it's a good frame shift that uh pine creek he, I, he's catching on he's catching on you see his wheels turning is winning the non-happening competition. Okay, so um, uh, enough of that. But what's the bottom line here? The bottom line here is the problem of evil, uh, Mr. Deflate, or other Christians who support what he's saying, the problem of evil is not a problem for atheists. It's a problem for you guys. And the problem is this. You believe in a God that hates sin, yet created knowing that there would be sin, or predicting that there would be sin. You believe in a God who is benevolent, all-merciful, all-loving, not needy, not dependent on anything, yet desires worship, desires to create so he can have relationship, even though he's a trinity and has relationship within himself if you're a Trinitarian. You're a God who, you, you're a Christian who believes in a God who, who will um, not step in all the time uh, on the major things like the gratuitous type things. In fact, I on Twitter the other day, I, I did, um, I asked a question to Christians, and if you're a Christian listening, ser take this hypothetical thought experiment seriously. And if you do, I think you're good. If your loved one was about to be brutally murdered, and let's assume your God exists, Yahweh, Jesus, Holy Spirit, exists but let's also assume that superman exists now given what you know about yahweh how he's interacted in the past and given what you know about superman how he's interacted in the past i want you to seriously try to answer this question your loved one is, is about to get hacked up with a machete knife brutally murdered painful death someone you deeply love and you can only call on one entity Okay, so uh, just critiquing his example real quick. You know what Superman does? Superman's like a godlike figure that could fly around the earth and he could blow things up with his vision beams. You know what he spends his time doing? Uh, cosplaying as a reporter for the Daily Beast. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and protecting the one city. The one city. I mean, it's, it's a huge... You know what Superman could do? Uh, yeah. He could use his laser vision... Uh, to to create a nuclear power plant and uh, create enough yeah, heat and electricity for infinite, the entire world. Infinite energy, infinite food. So and it's, you, it's a totally use the thing. proceeds from that to hire a police force to police the entire America. He could do that. 
um, and then expend his efforts where there's a most the most gain for humanity. But he doesn't do that. Uh, so I would not be praying to Superman in that scenario. <laughs> well, um, it's also his example is also interesting in another sense, which is that uh, the story of Christianity is that he wouldn't intervene on his own son's brutal, horrific, painful murder. The, the whole Bible is written like that. The whole Bible is people calling out. God, why, why, why are you not coming to save us? Um, yeah. And so it it could be just a fact of reality that God doesn't see the problem of evil as his job. So if that is the case, then some of the assumptions that Pine Creek has just posited that there is a problem of evil, well, is evil an objective reality? If it is an objective reality, to what extent does God, is God, um, required to or have uh, have uh, the duty to come and intervene in those love if my kids are fighting does God have a duty to intervene before one kid punches another if God doesn't have a duty to right evil uh, then Christianity doesn't have a problem with evil either if evil is subjective based on enforcement Christianity doesn't have a problem of evil it has a rhetorical problem uh, it, in a rhetorical sense, people would not like the idea, and they don't in the Bible. In the Bible, biblical authors do not like yeah. the idea that God does not have a requirement to right the wrongs, the ills on this earth. Rhetorically? No, but, but we were just discussing that it, you can't call it moral unless there's some sort of consequence. Right. Well, you can, but it just, there's no interaction in the world. If if you say something's immoral, that's your subjective evaluation of the situation, but the morality's impractical if there's no real-world consequences for that. So uh, you could come up with your own set of morality, and people do. It's like uh, if you eat eggs from a farm in which the chickens were raised in cages, that's immoral. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. If that's if that's what you want to do, if that's what you want to do, um, uh, fantastic. Have have fun with that morality, and and you could criticize whoever for that. You could criticize the government for not intervening. God, you you might you actually might be. Let's say you're Pine Creek, and you're also a vegan. God, why do oh, and you also you're Pine Creek? You're a vegan. You're also a Christian. Uh, God, why don't you intervene to free these chickens from the chicken cages, laid eggs? Uh, that level of interaction is what you would desire in the world. And if God didn't do that, if God did not perform to your subjective standards, you'd be, you'd be mad at God. Um, I don't think the Bible ever claims that God has duty to intervene in the world, in world problems and events. And in fact, I think it portrays God as that's the exception when God is specifically, uh, queried to intervene in which he's petitioned to intervene and actually does intervene. It's the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, I think that's the it, biblical story. It's, it's a little difficult if you're reading because you're only reading of the exceptions about the instances where he does intervene. Right. Yeah. But, but I mean, it, it should be obvious from the context that it's basically never. Yeah. It, it, wide, wide swaths, wide swaths of Israel's history. Nothing. Nothing but layment, nothing but misery. It's 
So that's the default experience. So I don't think I don't think with when the question of uh, uh, God, if he's he's all good, he must do all these things. I don't think that's a Christian concern. I, when I say Christian, I mean like a, a biblical concern. Biblical. Uh, but there's, the problem is that there's certain Christians who have these categories of God, omnibenevolent, omni, omnipotent, and they define them in such a way that they create their own problems. Yes, and then what happens is Pine Creek says, oh, let's, let's do an internal critique. And then he, he walks up to these guys and he says, in your system, this happens and this happens, and so this should happen. And the Christians are like, ah. Uh, and then they, they appeal to something. Oh, free will. Uh, I guess that gets, gets through the problem. Then why did God ever intervene ever? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny. So Pine Creek, he, he's, he's ending this video here. So this is a good, good time to end off. But uh, I do like Pine Creek. I think he's intelligent, and I think he, I think he's picking up on some of these framing aspects. I think I think he's tracking very well on that level. I don't think he's totally off base when it comes to criticisms uh, of objective morality. I think I think he does touch base. I think there there's other atheists that that also understand that there is a problem with Christians claiming there's objective morality. There, there, there are issues with that, and just trying to hinge that on God's nature doesn't isn't a practical solution if if those things don't materialize anywhere in the world. If if objective morality has no interaction with with the world, if there's no practical application, then there is no objective morality. Even though there might be some sort of objective standard written somewhere, I think that's the case. So I I don't. I do like Pine Creek. I I don't dislike him. I just think he's off base a, a little bit sometimes. And I think it's it is funny that he he complains about the Christians turning the tables and calling <laughs> the atheists dumb. I think that's pretty funny. Do you got any party thoughts for this? Um, I, I'm I'm wondering a little bit if he's a former Christian because I yes, know a lot of these people. Yeah, that that's that's what tends to motivate so many of these atheists, even Matt Dillahunty, is that they're former Christians and they've, they've invested so much of their life into this that they just got to keep going. I, I like the, they can't Bart Urban. It. Bart Urban's like, what do I do with all these Greek degrees? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I got text. I got, I, I invested my entire life into learning the Greek language and, and studying New Testament manuscripts. How do I make this? How do I turn this into a some sort of career? I, I I'm not criticizing Bart Urban. I like Bart Urban, uh, in in a scholarly way. His personality probably could use use a little bit of improvement. But uh, I do like Bart Urban. I like Pine Creek too. It's it's good. But all right. So any other closing thoughts? We'll kind of end there. No, I think I'm good. All right. Uh, any questions, comments on this podcast, post this down below or start a thread on God is Open. Thank you for listening.